Welcome to all listeners, both new and returning. I'm Dan Garman. This is Taken Off the Ritz, Episode 3. I'm going to keep this intro short and to the point as I want to get to my conversation with the inimitable Josh Roberts as quickly as possible. As I continue to delve deeper into conversations with arts and entertainment professionals, I've realized that the podcast actually needs a broader thesis statement. I began having these conversations with the goal of exposing the often taboo and unexamined realities of what it's like to make a living in the arts and entertainment industries from a financial perspective. Making a living in the arts is about paying the bills, but there's so much else that we have already explored in some of the episodes and will continue to explore. It seems obvious upon reflection, but I think it's important to explore the emotional and the spiritual and the mental and the physical and all of the other facets of what a successful living in this industry is, which is equally important as the financial realities. Maybe someone is very successful financially, but is finding little spiritual nourishment, even if they're performing at the highest levels. Maybe someone finds their day-to-day extremely physically taxing, but they're completely aligned with why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe someone's faith in themselves, their passion, and their ability to sustain themselves through any troubles that may arise outweighs the day-to-day reality of not being able to quit a waiter or side hustle gig yet. Therefore, I'm officially broadening the scope of these conversations to try to explore the full totality of what making a living in the industry entails. It turns out that most of the people engaging in this lifestyle have lots of brilliant, wise, inspiring things to say, and that if they're only known through the medium of their craft, we may miss out on other forms of serious wisdom and knowledge. Today's guest is a large catalyst for all of this. Josh Roberts and I sat down and spoke very little about numbers or the exact financial details of life, but we had one of the most inspiring and spiritually nourishing conversations I've had in some time. Josh needs little introduction. He is one of the most talented, versatile, and in-demand drummers in New York City, if not the country. He holds the drum chair for the Broadway sensation And Juliet, and he subs on a bunch of other Broadway shows, including Lion King and Some Like It Hot. He was voted one of Drummer World's top three up-and-coming drummers, and he's been seen in New York City and across the country touring with various famous acts. He's currently out with pop sensation Verite. He and I have played literally hundreds of shows together. He is one of my favorite people in the whole damn world. Please welcome Josh Roberts to Taken Off the Ritz. Hey, buddy. Yo, how are you? I am. Good. It is so good to see you. You are like in the back of some venue, just <laughs> finding a space. In the trenches. 
in the trenches just over halfway through tour right now. Yes, a couple days ago was halfway mark. Oh my god. And you're and just of course we were gonna meet we we're gonna meet like half hour ago and as as everything, tour just does not <laughs> behave necessarily the yep. way you want it to behave. Yep. They have a they have a radio spot this morning, so everybody but two crew people were gone. So it's like, okay, let's hands in deck, let's help. It's wild. I love it. I love it. Every day is different. Um, I'm very excited to hear about tour. But first, I mean, first of all, how are you doing, man? Like, how's how's I'm everything good. going? It's good. It's good. It is. It's exhausting, man. This schedule has been like, um, I think, a total of 34 days. I think like 26 shows in 34 days. We have. Wow. Yeah, and we have, we've got like a total of three actual days off and the whole tour. And then we've got a couple travel days in there, but, um, can you, can you tell everybody what, so what tour is this and, uh, what's your function on the tour just to start? Yeah. So this is the LP North American tour. Um, <clears throat> and it's a little over a month long. Uh, and, uh, so I am the drummer for Verite, the opener. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, man, I, I would love to kind of, for those who don't know, I mean, Josh is literally my first call, many people's first call drummer, but so much more than that as well, uh, in New York and starting to be across the nation as well. So, um, why don't we just talk a little bit about how you got here? Because clearly you're someone who I think a lot of people would love to hear your story because, you know, you've got, you've got a bit of a following and just like your, your work speaks for itself. And I think people will love to hear because you and I, you know, we just talk on the phone a bunch and you always have such great insight, such great insights. Um, so I'm just excited for other people to hear from you as more than just like how crazy talented you are at the drums, but also um, how insightful. Idiot. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it, it'll be great. So why don't you tell us a little bit, you started drumming. How did you, first of all, I don't even know if I know this. How did you find the drums? Cause I've seen videos of you from when you're very young. So what was your path to, to music actually? And how did you mm-hmm. end up just having that be the thing at so young dude it's it don't make fun of me it's kind of goofy so um i was homeschooled you know this um uh, i think i was homeschooled my whole life except three years of high school and so wow and where and where was this just so people know because it's because it matters southern the southern missouri Midwest, right above Arkansas, Branson, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, which is which is a show te- which is like the Vegas of or what? I, I don't know how people describe it, but it is yeah. crazy over there. Yeah, like fifty theaters. We'll, we'll get to it, but um, wow. a lot of live music and a lot of like rockabilly, Patsy Cline, Southern Gospel, Bill Haley and the Comets, kind of you know um, some interesting. It, it, yeah, interesting education early on, but basically, yeah, pop show music. Um, but so, dude, I was I was like literally six years old, and um, we had a homeschool orchestra, which. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, which use your imagination on the uh, um, illustriousness of that, but it was a uh, um, but. 
basically went through standard of excellence. I think Bruce Pearson, maybe that. Yeah, like, no, I did, I did. I did standards of excellence. Right. Was it just see. was it just your family, or it was like all the kids who were homeschooled around <clears throat> came together, or just your family? Yeah, yeah. Basically, in Missouri, like it's a big homeschooling area. Bible Belt in general kind of is, and so yeah, we we had enough to fill out. We had brass. Uh, I was usually the only percussionist. Um, I'm even trying to, man, you're really taking me down to the visual. We rehearsed at a church mm. and I just remember brass and, and going through these A2s. We'd always do a Christmas concert and like a fall concert or something. Um, but I want to say Sherry Slater, Sherry Slater. And she was really, she was my first, yeah, my first teacher um, ever. Uh, and what a godsend. I mean, obviously probably way underpaid because it was, I'm sure it was like some program, you know, I think well, actually we paid, that's right. Every family paid maybe $30 a week or something, which actually, when I think about it, maybe, maybe she kind of made money after after 15 <laughs> people gave her $30 a week to, to teach bad. an hour and a half. But, uh, um, but anyways, we would always have a little moment by our, like by ourselves, one-on-one, one-on-one with her. I remember vividly, the only thing I remember of lessons is like on rolls, press rolls. She said I was like a cat scratching, like to try to get it. My hands were like moving all around. So she's like, yeah, stay in one place. Um, (laughs) So funny. Uh, And we would have like practice logs and stuff. And uh, yeah. And I, I'm, I don't even know why it was drums or if that's what they needed. But I just remember like, like, Oh, I want to do snare. And that was, that was it. And I think I, I wanted to do drum set, but my parents were like, first you need to learn how to read music and you need to how to, you know, you need to do snare first in this classical thing, whatever. So, um, so basically, yeah, indeed. I remember somebody made a snare case out of cloth for me and I had oh. the snare that like wasn't even a snare drum. It was like pieces put together and this it was it was pretty wild and and beginning stages, but um I mean, if you can make it through that and make it through just playing snare for a homeschool orchestra, you kind of, you, you must love the rhythm or something, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so then you graduated snare to obviously to drum set and you took to it really, really quick. It's initially. Yeah. And, and I, I, I remember I can, I am in the place right now. I remember when I wanted to do drum set, I was at a church. My dad had a church in Springfield, Missouri, Crossroads mm-hmm. Church. And it was inside a boys and girls club in the back. And I remember uh, we were playing and Clint Thompson was playing drums. And mm-hmm. I remember that kick drum and just like thup, kind of that thup sound and just hitting me. And I was just like, I was, that's what I want to do. That's my instrument. That's what I want to do. And immediate that that was my uh, what do you call it identification totally identified with that instrument you know uh, and uh, and so then he gave me these uh, videos by Randy Shreve these two uh, instructional cassettes VHS cassettes <laughs> and you know what I'm honestly another digression co- conversation for another time probably but um, you know instead of like unlimited millions of videos on YouTube I just had one cassette. And yep. so I wore the yep. fuck out of that cassette, you know, and thankfully he really took me through rudiments. And, uh, before I even had sticks, I guess I, I kind of go back. I used, I did stereotypically use pencils on pots and pans and I just like oh. started 
And then my parents were like, okay, let's get up some sticks. And then, then I found the drums and then that's what happened. The drum set. That is, that is so awesome, man. I, those moments, those formative moments of almost like consciousness hitting you all at once. I remember in kindergarten, the high school jazz band came to our elementary school. I remember having that same moment of identification of just that is it remains etched in my memory of how cool that was. And I didn't even understand what was going on, but I had never seen someone in person play a drum set before. And those moments are the moments that stick with you and remind you, you know, all oh, right, that's why it like, there was that feeling of love or just intensity or fate, just that there it was. And, and totally. it, I, it's, be- it's beautiful that you, that you still, you know, have remember that moment. I'm sure a lot of people do. Maybe we forget sometimes, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so then drum set. So you graduate, so you graduate to that. And then like immediately you're still, you're surrounded by music and you set 50 venues in essentially your hometown. And from what I know of what we've talked about, you, you got involved like in that scene pretty young. So what, what were your first kind of playing experiences like, and, and uh, maybe just carry us through, like, from there to end of your kind of high school era uh, of, of what your experience was just growing up playing drums and, and, and yeah. Yeah, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, this is, this is like, this is hilarious. I always die at this. The, the first time I ever played, played drums, basically kind of fast forward, I taught myself some video drums and I had a couple okay drum teachers um church folks who were like how to come through but the first time i ever played with a band was at church and it was because the drummer was like this like punk he showed me i remember him showing me mxpx nice like k he was let's go he's kind of killing punk like he could he could get 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 like he could do it almost that fast it's kind of crazy oh i love that but he hated playing the slow songs in worship and so after the fast songs he would get up and go sit down with his girlfriend no and way no, one would play dr- no <laughs> way so you so did you got up during a slow song and you were like me i'll do it well i think i talked to i don't remember the the day but i talked to my dad or something and he was like yo have josh uh have my son go play this so shout to the lord would come up and <laughs> I would rock up and play all the slow songs. And so that was my first, that was my first introduction to actually playing with a live band was the slow wow. songs. <laughs> what an opposite. That's so off. That's literally the opposite of most kids and, and speaks a lot to, I think just a general theme of your musicality and your, and your <laughs> flexibility. I love, cause for, for, you know, a lot of kids you're watching stuff and you're like, Oh, I want to play the craziest, fastest stuff. And, and you're like, right, well, here's right. my opportunity. And it's like the really like ballads just <laughs> that. That's so funny, man. I love that. I love Hilarious. that. It, yeah. It, it was, you know, it's, it's manageable. My Jesus, you know, you're just, I remember too, basically my parents were like, we're in a show town and there's all these competitions, these talent competitions. Oh. And they're like, we, we think he should do star search announced that they were going to do the last star search with Ed McMahon and Branson, Missouri. And they kind of hyped it up to be like, there's going to be a video crew. There's going to be all this and that, but it was really just like, 
it was really just like a, a thing that never aired basically, but we still have, it's on YouTube too. We still have some video of me going. I'm going, I'm literally going to link that video in the description <laughs> of this podcast, <laughs> along with a bunch of other links for Josh, because if you guys haven't seen this, this was one of the first things that I watched once I realized who you were, which, which is a whole, what we'll get to, but um, yeah. dude, so you got into talent competitions. So, so here are questions. So a, did you, cause you got on star search. Did you, did you ever win any prizes? Did the, did gigs come from that? Um, I mean, so you got, at least you got out there a bit and people saw you and you were killing it, man. Like you were worthy of talent competitions. Yeah. Well, well, uh, d- twofold. I mean, to answer your question, uh, I won, there was like three categories on star search. I won my category, the tots division. And then there was an, <laughs> The uh, <laughs> <I know laughs> that's literally also my mom's camcorder that's on youtube but um oh, sony it. camcorder but uh i won the tots division and then this kid uh who played the drums okay but sang kind of sang his face off he won the overall division um and yeah i i wonder where that kid is i should really try to find him what happened to him but i love uh that. but anyway so yeah i won like yeah i won some cash money and i won like and it was funny. And then we did a couple other competitions, but here's the thing that it kind of did is it definitely gave me motivation. Like I had this whole routine, I played Wipeout and then I played Sing, Sing, Sing. And I got, you know, and I, of course, and then I got into Krupa and I had all the licks, I had a double bass pedal, everything was all planned out. And like, and I practiced hours as a freaking eight or nine year old to, for these competitions. Cause I, you know, and it, it did give me, it gave me that, that, uh, yeah, not inspiration, that drive to, to, you know, to practice for something. The only thing is I do remember a time that when the teacher was like, okay, but we, we still need to like get into jazz and we need to get into syncopation. We need to get into te- the, uh, Ted Chapin? This, this, yeah, Chapin and like swing solos and, and a lot of mm-hmm. stuff that I, I was kind of pushing to the side so that I could do competitions. And he was like, yes, chops, yes, whatever. But we really want you to, he was very specific. He had this plan and wanted to go through all these, uh, these books and stuff, which was, which was really cool. Um, and so, yeah, there was a time that he was finally like, we kind of faded it out of competitions, but what we did do. So I was, let me try to think here. So I was 10 years old when I was on star search and, I had only been with Tim for like a year, year and a half. And, mm-hmm. and Weckl kind of says this too. I've told a couple students this. It's like Dave Weckl even said like, I had a little bit of talent when I started, but like not extraordinary. And then it was just kind of work, 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 work. Like yeah. I definitely, I definitely had the initial, for sure. I was a nine-year-old and I was like getting around the kit a decent way. But then then it starts, you know, yeah, there was the initial, Oh, I'm competition boy and whatever. And then it was kind of like, all right, now you've got to get like uh, really serious. So anyway, so when I got the star search thing, uh, my parents heard or something that like, there was this artist, um, Tracy Lynn in Branson, Missouri, that was doing a Patsy Klein show. So Branson has like a lot of tribute shows, Buddy Holly tribute show and it was mm-hmm. artists playing their, playing their music essentially. So this Patsy Klein tribute show was looking for a drummer and, uh, um, and we sent in that tape and it was kind of like, that was it. And I went into literally like five shows a week. Uh, oh I've my been a walk God. and 
Gmail.com. And at you age, know, and I, at age what? 11. 11. So you're playing five shows a week at this age. Are you getting paid? Are you personally getting paid or your parents are like split? Do you have like an account? Do you like, does it start going to your head? Like, you know, these, these are the kind of questions and get kind of get us to college um, in terms yeah. of the next couple of years. So you're gigging at 11 and then what's kind of the trajectory here. And I also want to say, you know, I mean, it goes without saying that everybody has a different path and there's, you know, my partner picked their instrument up late, like in, mm. in high school and they're in the finals of New York ballet. Like it, it's, you know, everybody has a path and I've, I've been really, really lucky that early on, I, I've been able to acknowledge this since I was young that like, I'm really lucky that I was like, I want to be a drummer. I don't mm-hmm. identify as a musician, a percussionist. I'm a drummer. And I love that. And I love every piece of it. And I have since I was a kid. But yeah, that being said, you don't have to necessarily have the same path that I do. Um, well, I also think the thing that I want to get to in this episode, which I think is an interesting thing that we've been talking about a bunch, there's a balance between this is my passion. I'll do this no matter what. I would I feel humbled to be on stage, but also this is my talent. This is my way of making a living. And I have to kind of balance my investment as a musician with what I need. Uh, so I, I'm excited to get there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I was making money. Uh, you know, I do have to give a shout out to my folks that, you know, they homeschooled me. My mom basically said no to a career so that she could homeschool both me and my brother. I mean, you know, wow. she, you can't, you know, you can't stay at home and educate two boys and, and, you know, have a full-time job when my dad has a full-time preaching job, you know? So yeah, I mean, she basically, yeah, she basically put her life aside for us. Um, and she took me to all the shows and yeah, I made, I made all the money. Um, it, yeah, it, I, I don't even, it, uh, I haven't even thought about that really for a while, but I do remember them, like, I think it was like a 50 thing, like 50% I had to put to savings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 50% was like in another account that I could, uh, that I could eventually spend money on, on a cymbal, on a drum set or whatever. Um, Fun. Yeah. And honestly, wow. Shout out to them. I, I bought a Chevy Malibu when I was 16 years old and a freaking... <laughs> ninja uh kawasaki ninja you know we were like so we were like into dirt bikes i had a mini bike when i was like six also and a dirt this bike is my favorite fact of, this is my favorite fact about you is that like <laughs> you're actually like a super motorcycle kind of <laughs> yeah. like aggressive dirt bike guy four-wheeler three-wheeler motorcycle bmx i had a mongoose bike growing up and like yeah, I wanted to like X games and I feel like I'm actually kind of a little bit coming full circle where I'm like surfing now and I skate a lot and just like, but anyways, whatever. I'm not really that cool, <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was making money and, uh, uh, school was going cool. I was with these shows and I went with another show, Rankin brothers, and I did some other stuff. Um, so anyways, long story short, uh, my teacher, so I'm in these shows and I bounce around to a lot of different shows up until high school, my teacher's hipping me. Uh, I remember the car ride where he showed me Roberta Fleck with Quincy Jones. That was the first time mm-hmm. I heard swing music, mm-hmm. which is pretty late. This is this is kind of a piece to know is I wasn't introduced to swing music till 
maybe 15 or 14 or 13 wow. years old, like, like pretty late. And, um, and so it was all fusion stuff and it was all P-Funk, Funkadelic and, uh, uh, maybe some GRP all-star band, but that was with Weckle and it was a lot of Tony Royster, which early on, it was funny. Tim used to say Tony Royster is playing all the Dennis Chambers licks just slower. And so <laughs> I would study, I would study, study Tony and then get all these licks that, that was when he was young. And then once he, now I still think he like, so I, I have a question not to derail, but so I have a question and, and because this kind of speaks to an overall thing that I've been exploring here when you're, when you're these ages, right. Cause you've already mentioned that your church drummer showed you MXPX. You said you did, you know, you're doing the, the more Branson vibes and now you're getting into swing and all these things. So a lot of times did, did you have a conscious understanding at these ages of what all of these different styles were? And did, did you gravitate towards some or was it just kind of any experience to make music that feels right is an experience to make music? Cause I think a lot of people get hung up on, on these boundaries of style and already the, I mean, the thing, the spoiler here is that I, I consider myself versatile stylistically. And I, I think maybe I've never met someone who's so you and the other few musicians who I consider near and dear just can do anything and will do anything. If there's like a classic, if I write you, you know, a glockenspiel part for a quiet moment in like a complicated musical theater ballad, or if you, you played drums for a pop punk musical that I saw in uh, <laughs> Pop Funk uh, High on West 4th Street at La Poisson Rouge. So, like, I- I've seen you and played with you in dozens, if not hundreds, of scenarios where you do everything and you do it authentically. And my question, I guess, my question here is as a child, were you aware of these stylistic distinctions or was it just all, did it all just feel right? Hmm. I've, I've never, never really gone back and thought about that, but. No, dude, I never thought of them. The only thing is we went through this and it's back in my folks' place. We went through this green Latin book that was very clearly Paso Doble, uh, Wawanko, and this is a more salsa sasongo. But I remember thinking Latin music was very separated and was very compartmentalized and and oh now it's time to play yeah this uh this uh caribbean paso doble thing or something other than that and i and i you know what i bet i think i can nail it down why is because it wasn't you wouldn't have said you wouldn't have described Vinny as a um as as a multi-genre drummer or dennis or weckl because they played everything and that was the expectation back there in the 80s and the 90s was like if you mm. they were just they were just at this level of drumming but drumming encompassed being able to play with the buddy rich big band and have those famous clips from zildjian days back in the day when they were doing that and Vinny would sit in with the police mm-hmm. and sting then he'd also go and play with shaka khan and Dennis was with Schofield, but then you'd see him with Santana. Like it was just, that's what yes. you did. And then yes. somehow over the years, 
certain people are supposed to play this music and certain people are supposed to play that. And, and you're a pocket drummer, you're a gospel drummer, you're a country drummer, you're a rock drummer. And it's like, dude, we never, at least, at least in my bubble, which was a bubble for sure. I wasn't right. in public school, but yeah, maybe that, that protection was to my benefit. Like it was, it was all drums. It wasn't, it was, you would play something straight or you played it swing. And that was through syncopation. That was mm-hmm. through solos books. That was, um, through some coordination stuff. It was swung or it was straight. And that's all I knew. That was all the only difference. I didn't know the nuance. It wasn't till a long time that I knew the nuance of everything. And, you know, and maybe being a kid and having a little bit of entitlement was good. I heard jazz for the first time and I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm sure I can yep, do that. Yep. I, I really, <laughs> you know? I, I definitely resonate heavily with that. Every <sighs> new thing did feel a little bit like a challenge. And, um, and it, it, it's interesting because I think we, we oscillate between, I, I think millennials maybe had too much of, Oh, if you put your heart, if you put your heart into it, you can accomplish anything. Just work super hard. And and I think that can be detrimental, but I also think there's a lot of upside to that where, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it can be detrimental equally much now to kind of draw the line and draw your boundary and say, this is exactly who I am. This is exactly what I do. And, and I'm not willing to engage or to try to I- exist in another world. I think those two are kind of diametrically opposed and there's benefits yeah. and drawbacks to both. And, uh, but it is interesting to look at. So then in terms of your degree, you have, you went to school for jazz and so, and that is kind of more of a specialization. So what was your experience getting to, you went to uh, Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. For undergrad. So when you got to undergrad, by the time you've had all these other experiences, what was, what was that like? And what was it like to enter a jazz program having had the experiences you had had? Cause you, you're probably a different candidate than a lot of people who are, you know, throughout high school might've been like, okay, jazz is my focus or who came to it for a certain reason. So, so how, how was that experience for you? Well, check this. So I, so I've been with this teacher for like 10 years and there'd been some, at the end, there'd been some signs of like our time time is done, Mm -hmm. but he was like, he was of this old school mindset, which I benefited from a lot of, but it, it limited me of, you learn these books, you learn syncopation, you learn all this, you learn how to read like a mofo, which thankfully I could, I show my, I show my students this. He had, I still teach my students this. He would have me read backwards. He'd have me read like a measure and the previous one and the previous one, the previous one, like backwards. Wow. He would have me read from the corner measure and the second line, the second line, the third line checkered style and going back. So like, that's why I, I think I'm, I'm like, my reading is, is rocks. And when I went into school, it was like, no problem. He did have mm. me read some crazy shit. Um, but so get this, I've been, I was with him for 10 years and he was like, you will audition at Belmont, North Texas and Berkeley. Those were like, those were just like the old school, like stereotypical, Oh, you're going to go to drums. You're going to study at these colleges. Like really mm-hmm. no, no, no consideration of like what these paths were or anything. So I basically, I went in to these auditions and here's the gag is that, you know, if you want to study drums, this is still true today. If you want to study drums in college, unless you do Berkeley, maybe Belmont, uh, you're going to study jazz. Unless you do a modern contemporary music program, 
you're going to study jazz in school. That's, you know, that's like the only the legitimate music they consider on a drum set. Mm-hmm. And I had had hardly no jazz. I was a fusion head. I was a rock head. I, I did Latin, like my fusion Latin. I loved that shit, but I did hardly no swing. And if I did swing, it was probably like Weckl swing or Dennis swing or sure, sure, I'd sure. say Vinny. Vinny probably has the most convincing swing out of them all, but you, but you want to talk about Philly Joe Jones and never heard of them, you know? Yeah. These are like the more classic, like fathers of jazz drumming essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So my swing definitely still sounded like an, a custom ride symbol swing. You know, it was not a, it was not authentic. Right. Um, Exactly. It lacked, it lacked lacked the the depth of authenticity. Sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, I went into auditions and got into them all, got a horrible scholarship to Berkeley. And I don't think I got a scholarship, maybe something, a little something to Belmont. And I got nothing to UNT. And uh, it bombed, basically bombed these auditions. And we were all like, and I remember even my folks were just like, wait, like this kid is, you know, still won these competitions. And and I'm I'm touring already with a couple big show kind of artists who did Branson, right. but they also too. And we were like, "What happened?" You know. Mm. And the gag the gag that happened is college wants to know that you can execute specific expectations. And yes. I yes I yes yeah I even remember my master's audition getting a little getting a little far, but to I I just through stuff that I had left over together for an MSM audition. And that's not how it works. If they don't, if you don't have it labeled, if you don't have the standard and if you don't have the three choruses and the Latin song and in order, then to them, I think that's a reflection of what's your performance is going to be in their institution. That you have to adhere to someone else's standards. And that if you're not, even if you think that you've got all your shit together, if you're not able to ad- to put that aside and adhere to someone else's standards, everyone's going to look at you and they're going to say, "Hey, you know, Josh isn't he, he? He sounds great, but he's not doing the gig, right? He's not performing the way this needs to be performed." So, can, so maybe I, I don't know if that brings anything up for you, whether it's college or masters or anything, but just that idea of what you had to learn about fitting into a standard and what that has entailed for you over the years of actually becoming a professional and being in school. Mm. Yeah. School is really great for being in a bubble and getting your technique and getting your musicianship together. Um, And I, I hesitate to want someone to have another experience to I enjoy that about schools. You can really escape like I did it to Indiana to cornfields and you can get your stuff together. And again, this was kind of before Instagram was there. YouTube was there, but I wasn't really into it. I could just mm-hmm. focus and focus and focus and be super selfish and, and just on the weekends you know, I, I would, uh, I had a buddy there. She's a great drummer, Ariana Fanning. And, uh, we would do like these all nighters. We would practice till the morning and like 
like transcribing early Carlos Vega, who was a drummer who mm. died way too soon. Uh, just like obscure stuff. And, and school was perfect for that, like an environment you could stay up late and talk about the nerdiest stuff too. Now, school, yeah, is, you know, I, I, I think I hear of some programs that are starting to do some music business things or this or that. And, and I am of the belief that you really have to be here in the trenches to really know, you know, obviously being one of my closest confidants, friends in the universe, you know, even recently new stuff and new challenges and new things that I encounter in the music industry that I still, you know, there's new avenues. It's hard to prepare somebody for that. But I think what could help is if schools begin to update a bit, maybe it's faculty or bring in some stuff, you know, like <laughs> selfishly like me, which I would love to eventually do like something at NYU. I'd love to teach Yeah, hundred percent. That's why, that's why, that's why I'm dying to have these conversations because if I were in school right now, if I were in middle high school, college, early professional, you know, you've now had 15 years. I mean, you, you've been a professional for 20 something years because of how young you started, but you've been like a real fending for yourself in a city professional for at least a decade, if not more. And I'm just dying to hear, I would be dying to hear what it takes because man, does the shit you post and share with us as, as you know, people consuming your content, it's unbelievable and it's beautiful and it's moving and intense and like really inspiring. But then, yeah, I mean, I want to know, you know, what, what are, what are experiences? So maybe, maybe let's just zoom out. Like you, so then you, you finished your undergrad and you moved to NY, you moved to New York and you went to NYU. Like what are formative experiences you've had that just come to mind, like almost free association style over the past decade plus that were kind of like, those moments that you're talking about where you couldn't teach it in school, like what are a couple mm-hmm. examples of things that just kind of pop into your head if there are any? Yeah. When I moved to New York, I, I lived in an apartment prospect park with these Jamaican folks, most loveliest people. And I remember them telling me, I lived there for a year. I remember them telling me at the end, they said, you know, you never spent an evening in here in 365 days. And wow. dude, when I hit a new city, I, I was there in New York. I would, I would shed and then we would go to Smalls. We'd go to Fat Cat or I would go up to this musical theater bar. That was really formative and me meeting a lot of MDs and playing pop music. We'd go to Mercury Lounge. I'd go to Bitter End. I, and I did it out of love. I loved it. And I, I, it wasn't like, okay, no, Josh, you need to go. Sometimes Smalls was, that's another conversation <laughs> for that, for that culture, but it felt like the gym. It was truly like, it's time to go to the gym. Let's go. I need to figure out this. And I need to, that was small specifically, but everywhere else was just like, oh, so-and-so's playing a show. I'm down. I'm going to go. The And the, I think school does talk about this. My instructor talked about this, but just like, first of all, get your, get your shit together. I mean, and I tell people that like, when, when you start going up the rungs and what we can kind of chat about administrative strengths and negotiation strengths and having contracts and then not having a contract and getting burned because you didn't have a contract. And now because of, and having COVID things, okay, if it's canceled due to COVID, I still get half pay. Like all these things were, were things that I've learned, 
but the biggest thing that I told a student our one of our mutual students here was like, your strongest strength though, in my opinion, is your plane. I know that specific gig that I've recently had to do negotiation, whatever. I know what I bring to the table is rocks. I've never fucked up a set. I've never forgotten. And I've came into every rehearsal and I've known every single tune, every inch from top to bottom. So I'm going into those. I I'm asking this and I'm requesting this and you start negotiations knowing at least that, that I'm undeniable that, that the plan yeah. is there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. hundred percent. But the other, the other half, right? Because this is yeah. the big, this is the big conversation too, is you are one of my favorite people to just have in a room. It, your playing reflects that and, and is undeniable and your musicality, you elevate everyone else. You know, you're making decisions that, that, that are enhancing other people's, uh, you know, you're not just coming in and playing the book, you're coming in and, and, and elevating what's happening in the room. But the other half is you could be a genius and you could be the worst. You would never get hired. So the the back half of this, which maybe as someone who isn't you, who hires you, I, I've hired, I, I've worked with a lot of really brilliant people too. And I think even at some points in my career, I mean, I'll be fully transparent with everyone on this, you know, listening to this. I I was in the top big band at McGill as the drummer, which garnered a lot of resent because I was also a piano major in classical piano. And I was graduated with distinction in piano and was like, you know, very competitive in both. And I did musical theater on the side and was like doing all these extracurriculars. Like I went, I'm another person who went for it. Mm. However, I graduated and I got no calls. No one wanted to work with me because I was so competitive and I was so, and it just wasn't the energy. I was in Canada as well. And the, you have to kind of judge the energy of a city. You know, New York is more mm-hmm. about being cutthroat and, you know, still supportive of your peers, but you have to show up and you have to really give people a reason. But but I will say, you know, th- the other half of this here is who are you when you walk into the room? Are you someone who's like, is going to make people smile? And they're going to be like, my God, like I've never once met a person who's like, man, Josh fucking, Josh sucks. Like I've never, like here, here's, here's how, here's how much people love you. There was a gig that we did that you agreed to do that everyone agreed to do. It was two gigs. And then there was something that came up, which was, you know, a much bigger opportunity for you that you basically called me and said, Hey Dan, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I know I've committed something to you, but this really has, like, I need this for myself and also to be there for this other bigger artist. And I can't, I can't miss this opportunity. And I love you so much and would, I would throw myself under a bus for you. And I did, I went to the person we were working with and I said, I'm so sorry, Josh, Josh can't be available for the first of these two gigs. We, we just need, no matter what it looks like, we need to figure out a way around that. And we ended up doing a piano only, like I didn't even hire a band for the first gig because, because, but, but I would never do that for someone who hadn't put in so much of themselves Mm -hmm. over the years from the moment we met and started working together. And so if you're listening to this, I mean, like the interpersonal, you have to have the skills, but also you have to be able to 
make music with people and make be exist in a room both musically and extra musically in a way where you're just someone people want to be around. Are you happy? Are you are you in your right place? When you get behind a kit, you walk into a room with a coffee, like everyone's like, oh man, Josh is here. And that is something that is for sure a factor. How do you make I, I guess this is a question, but honestly, as your as a friend too, like how do you maintain your ah, that 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 positivity or that at, at least that um that there's almost like a spirituality or like a, a something mm. just unspoken that you are able to bring into a room. Is that something conscious? And how, how do you, how do you continue that? Because I think that's mm. a huge part that I would love to know. And I think people would love to know. Mm. Thank you, dude. Um, yeah, that's, that, that is, that's a hard question, but um, you know, I mean, not to get deep, but, and, get and deep. To like get, get deep, <laughs> get as deep as you can. Let's go. But, but yeah, I think, you know, I've had, a, I've, I've had, I feel like we need two episodes, but, um, you know, I've had an interesting spiritual, you said spirit and I, I 100%, I think it's, I think it's spirit. Um, I'm still, I consider myself a very spiritual person, like super, super attentive to my heart and my soul. And when it's off, I know it's off and I still pray a lot and I meditate. And, um, a lot of times in the, on New York subways, I just have meditation music just going just like that ambient and just trying to like, just trying to figure out where, where I'm at and preparing myself. And, and before I go on stage, I have a whole mental thing and I, yeah. Um, and that is a really, that's a jumping off from just, growing up Christianity and Pentecostal and, and also mm-hmm. learning the drums alongside that. And really there's a lot of like connection there with, with, with spirituality and drums and trying to, but then branching off Christianity and, and making spirituality, my own relationship and my body's a temple and anywhere, anywhere that I go is church for me. I can be at the club. I can be, uh, I can be dating someone same sex as me and we can be on a date and that's church and mm. you know, you can get, we can go that forever, but um, really reclaiming that. And that was very liberating for me. I think um, I had my first year when I came to New York, I, I was, I was wrestling with that a lot and playing at Hillsong and uh, which I still enjoyed my time there. Um, but wrestling, wrestling with res- identity with, with identity. Yeah, wrestling wrestling with uh, um, with val with self worth and value that I am good that that I that uh, you know the church began to and my family you know began to to tell me the things that being a, a gay person was was not good and shameful and feeling that and really having to like but once I really and it didn't take much but once I. Uh, once I, I re-centered myself and was like, I am so good and I, I possess so much love and light and so does my music. And I, it really permeated my music and, and my relationships, I think, with folks. And um, But yeah, like <clears throat> keeping yourself full, spiritually full and figuring out whatever, in my opinion, figuring out whatever that is. And sometimes I can be the gym for people or mm-hmm. or whatever it is for different people, but but 
when it can be nature, you can be an atheist and you can just love leaves and it's water to me. I find myself finding water all the time and whatever your connect is, um, you know, and every, every, and, and that's, everything is real. Like, uh, a, I, I believe that people are born with a, with tendencies for depression and have, you know, and 100% can use medication to help their lifestyle and whatever. So I, I'm very lucky that, that I don't feel like I at the moment need that. And naturally I've found ways to get myself, but figure out what that is for you and, and explore that and try to find that path. I guess is all I can say to that but um but i'm super i'm super thankful that drumming is and music is just like that return for me like i love it and it and it's and it served as when everything kind of fell apart in my life when i came out in new york city like Mm -hmm. everything fell away god fell away everything fell away and that was always there and i just ran Mm -hmm. to that for better or worse i buried myself in that and um And, you know, my personality, you know me better than pretty much anyone. And my personality is very kind of going back into, do you categorize styles of music? Do you categorize this or that? I'm, I am very fluid like water and I don't need, I don't need, okay, well in this set, we're going to play metal music. And then the second song is going to be punk. And like, we're just going to play music. And that's how I categorize life. And I categorize people and my experiences and, and, you know, it being so fluid and being so uh, flexible and is is not to be, I, I, I always say, like, it's not to be, um, it's not to be taken as translated as I don't care, like ever. And I don't think anyone actually would ever say that about me. Um, but I am very easy, I feel like, and I'm very flexible and direction. And uh, I'm not the person that's going to be like, uh, let's check this and let's check that. Like you give me direction on charts, JRB or something like this, and you give me specific mm-hmm. parts and I'll write it in and I'll play it. I won't even like ask, like, I, I don't need to be like, but, but check. Okay. I hear what you're saying, but check this, Dan. What if we, like, you'll never catch me saying that. I don't know which why. Which is I'm hilarious, like, which is hilarious because that is exactly <laughs> who I am. That's who I am. That if someone tries to tell me something to do, I'm like, you sure about that? You sure that's how you want that? Like, I could also do it this other way that I find better. But, I could you know, never. That's, no, I know, but, but but that's <laughs> but that's why. But my God, man! Like, uh, you know, the thing that I don't say enough is, I like a part of me aspires to just have that be an unattainable goal for me. That's an inspiration because that's not who I am, and I and I I can accept that, and I I know yeah. my role in stuff. But like when I watch someone accept, you know, ex- trust and accept things with grace and love, um, unless you're being mistreated, if you're being treated badly, you know, you, you, that that that's a different thing. But here you're talking about constructive, you know, vision and your ability to kind of inhabit space, not your ability to be abused, which is not what we're mm-hmm. going for here. But, you know, I, I, I will speak to that. Like, I remember, my God, I, you know, one, after we met and we had this opportunity to play together randomly where I didn't even choose you as my drummer, this, uh, a mutual friend of ours at the time was like, I have a friend who's a drummer. And I was like, oh, sure you do. 
every every singer's got a friend who's a drummer. It's gonna be some guy who shows up with bongos, and then Josh shows up for this gig, and I was like, and I vibed him so hard because I was like, who is this guy? Oh, and then I re- and then I realized that I put so it together sure. that I had seen your Jacob Collier Flintstones video. And, oh, like oh, after yeah. the fact, I put it together because then we started playing, and I was like, wait. This guy's unbelievable. Oh my god, I came in with the wrong expectations. But then I but then I'll never forget after that we just started working together on everything and I was like, "Hey, I have this experience where I'm music supervising this national tour of Charlie Brown Christmas. Would you go out and be one of the drummers on it?" And not only did you do that, but you also had to act and be on stage and dress in costume and you just delivered your lines like it was nothing. Like you you, you just did it, man. And 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 that's why I knew that he it's not just the music. You are an amazing musician, but it is that other connectedness and that other willing. It's like, it's the yes. And improv thing that if life is this evolving thing where uh, it is almost like an, it it is improv. We don't know. I, I can set a schedule for today, but then I have to move stuff around and you have to move stuff around and we try to make it work. And there's no animosity toward that. And there's not a, there's not a rigidity life is improv and if you are able to take the things that throw you off per per se and accept them with grace and just be like yeah that's the way it is you know that happened that like oh my god that's that's the other half of this is that i could throw you you know you're going around the country as like the best drummer i know and you're wearing a charlie brown like uh uh costume and you're like (laughs) saying lines and you're like doing little yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. you're pig. That sorry, they pig switched. Pen. It. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're a pig pen, and you had like a little scene, and you were hilarious, and just like you were always willing to do it, and you did it with. Even though we all knew it was so silly, you made a lot of kids happy, and you did it with a lot yeah. of grace. And now you're like the baddest dude in town, playing with all the. I mean, you're like you know, I, I have your resume and whatever listed. Like I mentioned it uh, before before this recording, so people know who you are. But the other half is you never came to stuff with like this attitude of like, oh, that's disgusting, man. Like, mm-hmm. le- and, and that's it. And th- and there's a humility and a connectedness there that is irreparable, ir- ir- unreproducible, <laughs> very unique. Yeah. Um, and and I wish more people embodied and I wish more people could take a hint that there is. The, yeah, there's this there's this. Yes. And. I'm a team. I'm a, I'm here for everyone and um, I, I will take care of everyone. So I, I think that that's really meaningful and it comes across in your music making as obviously as well. Thank you. I, I remember before I, when I was going in for Charlie Brown, you told me about it or something. I remember um, somebody telling me, um, what's his name? Uh, telling me an actor friend, giving me this advice of um, he was like, lean into it. He's just like, honestly, what I would do is throw dirt on myself and I would go into the audition. He's like, you should like not shower for a couple of like pig pen, you know, but he was just like, he's just leaning into it. And I remember having a switch on a train one morning and being like, if I'm going to freaking do this, I'm going to do it like lean into it. And, and I've kept that. And I, I think that probably helps, especially in New York is like, if I'm even going to play some burlesque show or like some cabaret and it's stinky and it's small lean into it learn the music lean into Mm. it and like 
even on this tour, there's, you know, there's a couple times you're, you're an opener and there's people are hearing you for the first time. They might not really know your music. And I'm just like full POD rock, just like yeah. going so, so hard. And it's, that's what I'm going to do. Like it, and if they want to come along with me, they can, but I'm not going to phone it in. I never, if I'm going to pick up the sticks, I'm never going to phone it in. And I, I don't know where that came from, but that, that, and I, you know, I've, cha- I've been challenged a few areas have been like uh, checking myself when there's always those gigs that you're just like, okay, this is something I really hope I grow and I never have to do this again. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, but checking yourself, no, you're still playing music. You have six in your hand. Don't phone it in. And like, because obviously the, the stereotypical, you never know who's out there, but just for you, like just all, yes. just always give it. Just always. Give yeah. It, you for know? your own, for your own integrity. I mean, I think as we get to the end here. Yeah. I, I think about, I think about how important it is because we toured the country uh, to, together for a couple months on a national tour of this show, Cruel Intentions, which was off Broadway. And, um, it was a really fun show to play. And there were so many things on that tour for me, especially as kind of the point person that were an, it just really almost nightmarish, uh, just organizationally and things that had nothing to do with the music. And I actually think you and our other bandmate, who was the first guest on this show, David Kawamura, I think you two, I think I would have been absolutely sunk without the two of you. And I think you, that no matter what you owe that your ability, like I, I had that energy into me as well, but I think I would have carried more negativity into the actual playing of the show. Had it not just been a thing where I could put, I could hang up all those other hats and we could just, we could just lean so far in. And I think you guys pulled me deeper back into that. So I think, yeah, if you're listening if you can find a way to be a generative member of a group and fi- and begin to find that energy and make sure that you're aligned with what you want to be doing, uh, or, or if you're not, you know, if you're not fully aligned with it, at least having integrity to yourself and, and admitting, Hey, I'm not really feel, I'm not aligned with this, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to give I'm not going to give myself to it. I just won't do it again. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think those are, that's the big, that's the biggest takeaway here. Um, and, you know, I know that it, during this podcast, we didn't necessarily talk about like the financial realities of your life, but I don't even, I think just hearing, just ta- getting where we got in terms of what music making represents to you and and, uh, this making this your life represents to you. I think that's way more valuable uh, than us breaking down, you know, weekly numbers. So I really appreciate your time, man. Do you have any, you know, kind of final thoughts as uh, we kind of wrap this up? Yeah, I think going off what you said um, and maybe, I mean, literally we can, we could totally do an episode two of like actually what, like during the day recording tracks and how all the gear and all that stuff. And 
Yeah, I think I mean a little bit, and you know, maybe in 10, 10, 10, 15 episodes from now, we'll have you back because I think a lot of people would would love to hear that, and we can focus more on that. But I think this was really cathartic. Um, but anyway, yeah, what 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 were you going to say about? Yeah, what I was going to say is like going off what you said is be open to you know. I came into New York. It's funny to think that I did this. I came into New York like I wanted to be a post Bill Stewart, Eric Harland, like contemporary i wanted to jump off my early fusion training and my swing was okay but i'll be a contemporary jazz drummer and and i i was forcing that for a while and it definitely helped my musicianship you know it's just like like i said going to the gym and whatnot but once i like opened myself up to environments that that i remember i just flourished in like pop environments, musical theater environments, and um, uh, what else? Some rock stuff and Hillsong and church and like whatever. Like I just might literally my personality blossomed and I was felt comfortable in the spaces and welcomed and met some of my best friends and you on these tours and stuff. Um, I would just be open to don't, don't hold so tight this metal of this trophy. Well, I, but I need to be an R and B pop, whatever, da, da, da. like be open to seeing what your heart and what doors kind of start opening and then just start walking through those doors. And you might find that you're the most happiest. And then you get reports of people saying you light up rooms because you're happy to be there and you're excited to, to go in these things. Um, and, it's always going to be there if you want to play jazz, if you want to do whatever. Um, but just try to figure out what doors are opening and and be open to it. Absolutely, man. Well, I think <laughs> I love you, is, dude. I, I think that's a perfect place to end. I love you too, man. I think you're you know you're you are a foil for. It's just good to talk to you because it reminds me about you know the just the two sides of the same coin that, that you possess a lot of qualities that, that just inspire me and remind me and give me perspective on, uh, my own bullshit. <laughs> well, so dude, yeah, dude, you're, you're such a rock to me and, and you exhibit, um, I always forget this term. What is this term when somebody loyalty and that is so important in the music industry and sometimes so rare that like, you know, I invest a lot in us and, and, and in our, our collaboration and musically and i know when i when i play it just all it all pours into the bigger picture i prepare a certain amount of things for you because i know that we have a long road ahead of us and we have a road behind us and that that pays dividends in the music industry so i think i think i think it's all it's all vibration it's all connectivity both yeah. the music and and the uh, and the extra musical aspects of it. So thanks so much for being a guest here, man. I hope Anytime. you have a great show today, and uh, and we'll catch up when you get back to the city. All right, appreciate you, dude. Love you. Yeah, man. You too. Thank you again to Josh Roberts, incredible drummer, musician, human, for being our guest this week on Taking Off the Ritz. I'm Dan Garman. We now have the beginnings of a website at www.takinoffritz.com. We will have more content being uploaded there. We will also be starting some video episode access if that's something you're interested in. More info on that in coming weeks. 
Thanks so much. We will see you next week.